The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good evening, Wednesday nighters. How are you guys doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to be with you guys. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Book of Acts. That is in the New Testament after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Hey, real quick, while you guys are turning there, uh, just wanted to announce tomorrow morning, just a reminder, uh, we are having uh, a Bible study for some guys over at the Hub at 6.30 a.m. I know it's early, but it'll be worth it. Uh, Pastor Jeff Hensley's going to be leading that tomorrow morning. So if you want to come out before you go to work, um, or if you have the morning off or the day off, definitely would recommend coming out tomorrow morning um, to get in the Word with Jeff and have a good time. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we quiet our hearts before you, Lord. God, we live in a busy, busy world with so many things constantly on our minds. So many things to do, so many things to stress us out, so many responsibilities, so many distractions. God, it's really hard, if we're all honest, Lord, it's really hard for us to sit here and just instantly give you our attention and our focus, Lord. God, our phones buzz, Lord, and things happen, God, but I just pray tonight that, Lord, your presence would be felt. God, I am desperate tonight to feel you, to know that you're here, to be moved by your power, God. So, Lord, would you meet with us? Would you manifest yourself in this place in a way that all of us walk out the door saying, God showed up? Lord, we love you, Father, and we look to you for all wisdom and all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if, uh, if you guys live in America, you probably know that this Sunday, uh, 114 million people are going to be tuned in to one event. Does anybody know what that is? The Super Bowl, you guys made my case, perfect. 114 million people are supposedly going to tune in and watch or view or be part of the Super Bowl this Sunday, which is crazy. Um, Here's the thing about human beings. We are worshipers. We worship all the time. Every human being on the face of the earth worships something. Case in point, the Super Bowl. This Sunday, 114 million people will worship um, and ascribe worth to the Super Bowl. They'll give their time, they'll give their sometimes emotion, sometimes their anger, all kinds of different emotions probably, over to the Super Bowl and, and really in, in an act of worship. Human beings were designed by God to worship. Um, what is worship? Worship is basically the act of ascribing value or worth to something. And then you say that I see something as valuable, I see something as um, meaning something to me, and then you perform an action that shows that, that's an act of worship. It's ascribing value to something. It's investing yourself in something. People worship all kinds of things. We worship all day long, every day, okay? And not all things are bad, right? We worship all kinds of things. We ascribe value to all kinds of things. In our culture, we worship things like food, right? We have shows about food. Um, we have um, plenty, plenty of um, 
Recipes about food. We have a million dollar industry centered around food. We have hobbies. We worship our hobbies on weekends. We go golf. We go run. We go do whatever. Um, we, we worship constantly. We ascribe value to things constantly. Some of us worship in our marriages, right? Some of us um, worship our wives. Some of us worship the idea of a romantic relationship. Some of us worship our kids. We run ourselves ragged, getting them wherever we need to get them. Um, some of us uh, worship our bodies. We spend all kinds of time, all kinds of money, all kinds of resources trying to get uh, our bodies to cooperate or look like the way we want or getting surgeries or whatever. We all worship, we all ascribe value, we all make things important. Now the question isn't if we worship. The question is what do you worship? So what do you worship, okay? Now in answering that question, ask yourself this. First of all, what do you give worth to? What do you give thought to? about? What do you give yourself into? Because whatever it is that you give worth to, you find worth in. Okay, whatever it is that you give worth to, you find worth in. That's why Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? So whatever you give worth to, you find worth in. Uh, What do you proclaim? One of the primary things that that lets us know whether we're worshiping something is whether we proclaim it. Again, this isn't all bad things, right? Um, If I'm really into something, I proclaim it. If I find a restaurant that's really good, I tell people. If I watch a movie that's awesome, I let everybody know. Okay, that's why Instagram and Twitter are so popular because it's an instant way to ascribe value to something. Look, I enjoyed this, it was good, and now I wanna tell everyone. You proclaim, you worship. It's just the way that we're designed. God made us to be this way. Um, What do you get mad about when people take from you? If someone gets in the way of your hobby or keeps you from doing something you really want to do and you get irritated, it's probably a sign that you're worshiping that thing. Uh, What do you think about most? What fills up your mind? Okay, this is all questions that can help you figure out what it is that you worship. And we all worship something. Now, Romans, if you guys are familiar with the book of Romans, chapter one says that we have a worship disorder. Okay, that means that God designed us to worship in the garden. He created us specifically to worship. In your DNA, you're designed to find things that are cool and tell people. Okay, that's why we watch sunsets. That's why the other day when I was out on a run and it was snowy, the first thing I wanted to do was take a picture so I could show my wife and let everyone know, look how cool this is. I wanted to worship. Look how beautiful all this is. Look how amazing that is. Look at the song that I found. Look how cool that is. We, we're just, the way that we're designed is to worship. But Romans says that we are broken worshipers. We have a worship disorder. We don't worship correctly. Romans says this, it says, therefore God gave them up and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So what is the issue of sin? How is it manifested? It's manifested in worship. Sin has affected our worship. It's affected what we ascribe value to, what we find worth in, it's, 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 it's messed things up in a way where we no longer worship God, the source of creation, we worship creation itself. This is all review. You guys know this, right? We have a worship disorder. So the reality is, is that worship either gives you life or worship takes life. If I ascribe worth to things that have no life, I'm giving my life. If I ascribe worth and value to God who is life, then I get life. So tonight, we're gonna talk about, as you probably guessed, the subject of worship, okay? We're in a spiritual disciplines series. Uh, We're five weeks in, it's been really great. Um, And tonight, we were supposed to talk about a different topic, but I just really, um, 
I'm the worship pastor, so <laughs> I really love worship, and I am jazzed tonight to, to talk about worship with you guys, and then primarily to do more worship at the end. That's mostly what we're going to do tonight. Um, but tonight is the discipline of worship, and yes, it is a discipline, okay? It is a discipline. But worship, I think, and I probably said this about everyone so far, worship, I think, is one of the most, if not the most important discipline. Okay, <laughs> I say that every week, right? You and your pastor, you can do that. You can say everything is the most important thing you'll ever say. Um, this is so important because worship is the result of every other spiritual discipline. If you are doing the spiritual disciplines right and correctly, it should lead to worship. It should to lead to giving more and ascribing more value to God. So tonight, what I want to do through Acts chapter 16, it's going to be short. Um, I should never say that because then it means it won't. Um, Tonight, through Acts chapter 16, if you guys are there, I want to peel back the curtain and just look into how important worship is in the life of a believer, okay? So Acts chapter 16, a little bit of background, if you guys are there, this is seriously one of the coolest stories in the Bible. It's another thing I say every week. Uh, seriously, though, this is a cool story. Acts chapter 16, a little bit of background, Paul, the apostle, is planting church. Planting churches, that's what he did. He did it. Um, all, all throughout the land, in Rome, and Greece, all these different areas. And specifically in our story, in Acts chapter 16, he's planting a church in Philippi, okay? If you've ever read the book of Philippians, uh, that is to the church at Philippi. So this is the very beginning, the grassroots, like the, the first few days of Paul planting the church of Philippi, which is super exciting. The first convert that we see in chapter 16 is this woman named Lydia, and she's actually sort of like a... Um, she creates clothes, basically. She, she makes purple linens, which purple was a sign of affluence and, and wealth. So she, she was kind of like a high fashion designer. She's the first person that, that gets saved and, and, and becomes part of the church at Philippi. And she actually invites Paul and his crew to, to be based out of her home. Um, and as they go out in Philippi, we pick up our story. They're going to a prayer meeting in verse 16 of chapter 16. It says this. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Okay, so we have this girl. As they're going to the place of prayer, this young girl who has a spirit of divination, okay? Now, this is not a godly spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is a satanic spirit, demonic spirit, a spirit of divination. What she basically does is she is owned by someone else who collects money off of her fortune-telling for people, essentially. This girl is following them around. Look at verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. The funny thing is, even though she has a satanic spirit, she's getting it right, okay? She's right. Yes, they are servants of the Most High God, but she's drawing unwanted attention. She's being a nuisance. Every day, it says, she comes and she yells and she causes a problem and brings attention to Paul and to his crew. So Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, he's over it, he's like, forget it, this is enough. Turns to the Spirit, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour, okay? There's power in the name of God, amen? But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. This is where things go bad. 
(laughs) This is where Paul has probably one of the worst days he'll ever have, which is saying a lot because Paul had a lot of really, really bad days. The guy just couldn't catch a break. So after he casts out this demon, um, of course, he's just ruined how the people that own her's uh, money-making scheme, basically. They're no longer able to make money off of her um, through her divination, so they're irritated. Looking at verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them, stripped them, gave orders to beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. What a horrible day for Paul and his guys. Oh my goodness. Okay, one second, they're heading to a prayer meeting. This woman keeps bugging him. He casts this demon out of her. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, they're literally getting stripped naked in front of a mob, beaten, mocked, thrown into a Roman prison, which is not, don't picture our modern day prisons, okay? I looked at a picture of that actual prison that they found in Philippi. It's just a tiny little hole, okay? Literally, just a dungeon-esque, dark, cold, hard, uncomfortable Roman prison. And then to top it off, they put them in stocks, okay? Which Roman stocks was meant to be an extremely uncomfortable thing. Literally, they would pull your limbs so tight that it could pull your joints out of your socket, okay? Brutal day, rough day for these guys. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, the reality is, and this exact thing may never happen to us, But the reality is is that all of us are going to have times like this, okay? Times where it just seems like everything is wrong. Everyone's against us, and nobody's on our side, and nobody's on our team, okay? Now, when that inevitably happens, I wanna show you guys tonight, briefly, I wanna show you guys how worship fixes so many things. How worship brings power in seasons of hardship. How worship relieves so much ache, okay? So that sets sort of the groundwork for our story. I wanna look at three things, okay? If you're note takers, you'll like this. If you're not, don't worry about it. Number one, the first thing that worship brings, worship brings peace. Look at verse 25, so same day, they're beat, they're in prison, they're, 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 they're worn down, they're cold, they're uncomfortable, they're in stocks, they're humiliated. In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, let the weight of that sit on you for a minute. They just had like the worst day ever. It's midnight, And what do they start doing? Praying and worshiping God. Now the first time I read that, I'm seriously like, how is that possible? How is that possible? How can they be in there singing praise? Now praying, yeah, I get that. Okay, you're in prison, Lord help me, get me out of here, free me. But worship? Like how does that happen? 
How do you go from being the worst day ever sitting in a Roman prison, beaten and naked and cold, to all of a sudden, hey, let's just start singing worship? How does that happen? How do you get to that point? How can they sing after what just happened? Listen to what Rick Warren said, and considering his context, I thought this was really insightful. He says, your most profound and intimate experiences of worship will likely be in your darkest days, when your heart is broken, when you feel abandoned, and when you're out of options, when the pain is great and you turn to God alone. How can worship happen in a moment of such desperation, in such pain, in such seemingly darkness? Because their value, listen to this, their value was not placed in their surroundings. Their joy was not dependent on what was happening to them in that moment. Their peace transcended outside of that prison cell. So even though physically they were bound in stocks, on the inside they were free because their joy was not found in their surroundings. In the beginning, I talked about this worship disorder that we have, right? That we have a, a broken worship system. That we look to things to be more than they're supposed to be. That we take created things and make them more than God ever intended for them to be. Now listen, God is more interested in changing what you worship than he is in changing your surroundings. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. God is more interested in changing what you worship and fixing your worship disorder than he is in changing your surroundings, okay? Now, if it were me and I was in that prison, I would be like, Lord, you've got to fix this. You've got to get me out of here. If I was sitting in Medford jail right now, you better believe I would probably not be singing. I would be, Lord, get me out of here. Change my surroundings. But that's not actually what happened. They didn't just look to get out of the position they were in. They yet somehow found joy and worship in the position that they were in. God wasn't necessarily going to deliver them out. They found somehow a way to find worship within. Now, sin is a worship disorder. If sin is a worship disorder, this is what ends up happening. In failing marriages or struggling marriages, the root of that is, and follow me on this, the root of, the, of, of that isn't necessarily marriage issues, okay? The root of marriage issues are worship issues, Right? When we, when we put so much pressure on our spouse to be enough for us and then they let us down and then we end up leaving or we end up separating, that's not a marriage issue. That's a worship issue, right? Because essentially what, what's happening there is, is you're saying that I can't find enough value in God to work through this. That I'm looking to my wife to be that and if she can't be that, then I'm out of here, okay? It's a worship. Uh, think about it this way. Addiction is not an addiction problem. Worship essentially, at its basis form, addiction is a worship problem. You're saying that I need that thing. I need that thing. It's so valuable to me that I cannot live without it. A worshiper of God would say, yeah, but God is better. God is better than that thing. Discontentment, ultimately, at its root, is a worship disorder. I'm not finding enough value and joy in God, so I'm discontent. The root of so many of these things is a disorder of worship. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So what am I saying here? <laughs> worship brings clarity in moments where things don't pan out. 
Worship brings clarity because what worship does is it says, God, you are more valuable than my surroundings. You are more valuable than the joy that I think I should be having. You are more valuable than the freedom I think I expect. You're more valuable than the way I think my relationship should be going. You're more valuable than the joy that I think I should be having. I count all that loss because God, you are greater. So even though they stripped everything from these men and threw them in prison, they could not take anything from where their value was, and that was on Christ. He was the most important thing to them, and they could not touch that. And worship exuded out of them because God was more valuable than their surroundings. As John Piper famously says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Think about that. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Paul says, beat me, throw me in prison, take my clothes. My value is not in this life. It is in God. Guys, listen, worship, first and foremost, brings freedom. It brings peace because it allow, when your value is on God, nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch you. Okay, I know that seems idealistic, right? How do you do that? Spend the rest of our life trying to figure that out, okay? But when my value is on God, no one can mess with my day. <laughs> things don't go the way I want, that's okay. Because my joy isn't found in things going the way I want, right? Things aren't happening the way you want at work. You don't get that raise. You don't get that promotion. That's okay, because my joy was never set on that thing. If your joy is set on that thing, you're bound to be disappointed. If your joy is fulfilled in God, who is the all-fulfilling one, you'll always be fulfilled. So, number one, worship brings peace, even through suffering. Number two, look at verse 25. Worship brings power. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. How amazing is this? As they begin to worship, as they are worshiping God, ascribing value to God, saying, Lord, you're bigger than this situation, God shows up. Literally, an earthquake happens. The door is burst open. Their chains, their stocks are broken. They're completely free to go. Completely free. Now what's happening there? God showed up. God showed up. Now you say, wait a minute, wasn't God already there? <laughs> okay, this is really important, okay. Wasn't God already there? Well, yeah, God was already there. There's a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence, okay? There's a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest. God's omnipresence means he's everywhere, okay? He's in this room. God is in the bar. He's everywhere. His presence is omniscient. He's all places at all times. But there is a difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. What Paul and his friends experienced in this jail cell in Philippi was not the omnipresence of God, but the manifest presence of God when his power showed up and broke the door open. Broke the door open. Now, billions of people in the world right now are experiencing the omnipresence of God and don't even know it. But when God's manifest presence shows up in a room, you know it. You know it. It's obvious. 
So on Sunday morning when I'm leading and I'm asking God to show up, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just like an idiot when it comes to theology in that sense. I am, but no. I'm not like, oh God, you're not here. You're somewhere else hanging out. No, God's here already. But when we invite God's presence, we're asking for his manifest presence. God, show up and show off and let me see you. Let me feel you. I don't want to just know you're here. I want to feel that you are here. Turn with me really quick. Leave your finger in uh, Acts and turn with me to Exodus. (laughs) Exodus chapter 33. Exodus. Um, Exodus 33. Moses knew the manifest presence of God. Listen to this. Moses said to the Lord, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send me with. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too, this nation is your people. So Moses is saying, God, you've given me this task to lead your people, okay? To lead them through the wilderness. And if you want me to do this, Lord, I need to know you. You need to show up. I need to see you. I need to experience you. I need to feel your presence. Look at verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you. The Lord responded, I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What is Moses saying? He's saying, Lord, if your presence is not with me, I don't want to go. Your presence is the difference maker. Your presence is the it factor. Your presence is the only way. Your presence is the reason that the waters parted and we walked through the Red Sea. Your presence is the reason that locusts and frogs and all of these plagues came upon Egypt and we were set free. Your presence is the reason bread has fallen from heaven and water has come out of rocks. Your presence is the difference maker. Your presence is all that matters. And if you're not here with me, then I don't want to go. If I could pick one verse, if I could pick one verse to say this is my vision for the worship at Heritage, it's this verse. And not even the worship for Heritage, it's just Heritage in general, okay? If God is not here, I do not want to go. The scary thing about church and the scary thing about life is how much we can do without the Lord, or at least how much we think we can do. The scary thing about about being part of a church leadership is that you realize that you can actually do quite a bit of things completely apart from God. That if I wanted to, I could go get some talented individuals, people that had led CEO corporations. I could go get some public speakers, people that have, uh, you know, good people skills and all these kinds of things. I could say, hey, let's go start a church. And they don't even have to be Christians, right? And I could say, "Let's, let's go build a church. And we could probably do it pretty well, Right? You could, you could make, make people feel really welcome, and the music could be hire professional musicians, get public speakers that were great, have an epic you know, kids' ministry, all these different things, and people would come, and it would be great. But it would have absolutely nothing to do with the Lord. That's kind of scary to me. Okay, think about that for a minute. Now think about it more on a personal level. You can go through quite a bit of your life completely absent of the presence of God and be fairly successful. You can't. 
You can go to school. You can get a good job. You get a good education. You can do a lot of things on your own. But the reality of what Moses is saying here is that none of it matters at all if the presence of God is not in it. None of it matters. If, if, if what we do here on Wednesday and what we do on Sunday and what I do in my personal life is not saturated with the presence, the manifest presence of God, I don't wanna live. If what we do here is not saturated with the presence of God, I don't wanna come to church because it's pointless. We might as well go to a social club. What he said, look at, look at what he says. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people in the face of the earth. He says two things. He says, first of all, your presence is all that matters. That's the only thing that gives us strength. The only thing that gives us power. Secondly, he says, your presence is the only thing that sets us apart. If you're not with us, Lord, we're just another nation. We're just another people. We're just another rambling group living in the desert for years looking for a home. If your presence isn't with me, we're nothing. We're just a church, just a nation, just nothing. Just a person, nothing. The presence is the difference maker. If you don't believe me, read the Gospels and watch the disciples. And then go read the book of Acts and watch the disciples. Something changed. It's the presence of God. These guys were knuckleheads. They couldn't even heal a single person. They couldn't cast a demon out. They couldn't do anything. They were getting it wrong constantly. Peter was lopping people's ears off, blurting out stupid things, getting it wrong every time. And then you look at the book of Acts, and Paul's like, Jesus' name, gone. Peter's just, I mean, it's insane. The power that these guys wielded in the New Testament. What changed? The Holy Spirit, the presence of God was manifested inside of his people. That's the difference. The Holy Spirit was the difference. The presence of God is the difference. And that's what changes things. When God shows up, that's what changes things. The ground shook and the prison was opened because God showed up. This is all I want. It's all I want on Wednesday. It's all I want on Sunday. Whenever I pray with my team, whenever I pray with Mitch or whoever is leading all I want is God to show up. I don't, I don't want this to just be, oh, cool, I, I was able to teach and you guys knew what I was saying and you weren't confused and okay, cool, I can go home happy. It matters nothing. It doesn't matter at all. Oh, worship was okay and no one broke a string and we all got to sing and that was great and our kids didn't die and they had fun and threw you know, balls at each other. Great, let's go home. That's worthless. I want the presence of God. If we don't get the presence of God, then there's no point in being here. Well, I desire for you guys my desire for myself is that we would be people that have higher expectations for why we come here. We're not just coming here to hang out. We're not just coming here to sit and listen to what Sam studied or Jeff studied or Jeremy studied. We're not just coming here so our kids can play. We're not just coming here for free babysitting. We're coming here for the presence of God. We're coming here because we want to feel his touch and know that he's strong and mighty to save. We want to be moved so our hands raised, they can't stay at our sides. As Moses said, Lord, if you're not here, I don't want to be here. If your presence isn't here, I don't want to go. You are the difference maker. Your presence is all that matters. And my heart for this church, my heart for this church is that we wouldn't come for the programming, and we wouldn't come for the worship, and we wouldn't come for the teaching. We would come for the presence of God, and that would have nothing to do 
with anyone in a position of leadership would have everything to do with the presence himself. But God is here. I want to go to Heritage tonight because God is going to be there manifesting his presence and I want to meet with him. Man, that's my desire. Number three. Not only did worship bring peace in that situation, not only did worship bring power in that situation, worship thirdly brought mission. Worship brought mission. Look at verse 27. Go back to Acts chapter 16. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. The jailer is going to have to take his own life. He's going to have to take his own life because his sworn duty was to keep the prisoners in the cell and they couldn't stay. He, he knows, they're gone, they're, they're out the door. The, the, the door's open, the chains are gone, they're gone, my life's over. He's about to fall on his sword, and as he's about to fall on his sword, Paul cries out with a loud voice, stop, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Isn't that funny? Verse 29, the jailer called for the lights. He's bringing their lights, and he, rushed, he rushed in so he could see what's going on, and trembling with fear as he saw that they were still there, that they chose to not leave, he falls down, before Paul and Silas brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What is happening here? Doesn't make any sense. They begin to worship. God shows up, creates a way for them to leave, and they don't. Worship not only brings peace and worship not only brings power, but listen, worship brings clarity. When you put yourself in a position where you say, God, you are all that matters, you find yourself in a lifestyle and a rhythm of worship where God is most valuable, clarity inevitably comes. And you see what you are designed to do. What happened was, they didn't just rush out the door. They took a second and they realized that if they rushed out the door, that man was going to lose his life. Now, why is Paul in Philippi in the first place? To plant a church. <laughs> to find converts. Here's convert number three, or two, or whatever he was. Here he is. Through and because of worship, Paul had the clarity to see that his mission wasn't outside of the jail. It was actually right inside the jail. God burst the door open so they could go nowhere. God's intent was never for them just to leave. God's intent, was that, God's intent for them was inside the jail. His ultimate plan for them was that they would be a witness and a light to this jailer. The number one question that we all ask as Christians, probably, one of the number one, is what's my purpose? What's my calling? What's my mission? Okay. 
especially young people. We want to know, like, am I going to go be a missionary? Uh, is God going to use me in the workforce? I mean, am I going to be, you know, what am I going to do? What's my calling? And we, we obsess over it and we think about it and we, uh, you know, sometimes it, it even cripples us because there's so many options of what we could do. It's a big question. My answer to that question is worship. When you worship God, the clarity of what you were designed to do will inevitably come. When you ascribe God as the most worthy and the most valuable, the clarity will come, your eyes will open, and you will most likely realize that your mission is not 1,000 miles away. It may be. But more than likely, it's probably right in front of you. They didn't have to leave the jail. It was there. The calling and the mission that God had set up sovereignly for them to walk in was not out the door. It was in the door. How cool is that? For a lot of you guys in here, your mission field is not out the door. It's in the door. My wife has had to learn that. It's been really hard for her. But she has found such joy in realizing that her mission field is primarily inside of our door. This is two little moldable hearts and minds that, that, that have been brought into our life by his grace. That's her mission field primarily. And she has found so much joy in that. Even though five years ago she thought about going and being a missionary and all of these things, she doesn't see that as losing. She sees it as winning because God's mission field was closer than she thought, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds romantic to go and, and go do life-conquering and world-altering things, and some of us may do that, but for most of us, the world-conquering and life-altering things that we'll do are right here in Medford at your job. Guys, the jailer might be the person you work with. It might be your boss. <laughs> right? The person that God wants you to affect is probably a whole lot closer. It's probably not someone you haven't met yet. It's probably someone you already know. It's a family member. It's that person that you know you need to share the gospel with. And God will burst the door open, but that doesn't mean he wants you to run out. I mean, God could do anything he wants. God can send us all anywhere, anytime, anyway. God can show up and do anything that he wants to do, but more than likely, our mission field is closer than you think, and worship gives you the clarity to see that it's there. When God is valuable, and more valuable than anything else, you will be more effective as a missionary, and we're all missionaries, by the way. You will be more effective as a missionary than anything that you could do, any book that you could read, any of that. Worship brings mission. If you don't know what you're called to do, start giving God worship. Start saying, God, I'm just gonna make you the most important thing. And your mission will, it'll show up. You'll see it. You'll figure out how you were designed, why you were designed, what you were designed for. Lastly, look at verse 33. He took them the same hour, of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house, set food before him, and rejoicing along with his entire household that he had believed. Here's what I love. It wasn't just the jailer. It was his whole house. Worship is contagious. It is contagious. Here's why I love what I get to do every Sunday morning that I leave. I love what I get to do in leading this church in worship because I know and I understand that at the heart of literally every revival and every movement of God, you find God's people consumed by God's praise. That is the catalyst. 
That is what changes culture. It's not a, a church program. It's not a set of, of doctrines. It's worship. It's when people see people worshiping God. It's when people understand what it looks like to value and find ultimate worth in God. Worship is the heartbeat of every revival, of every movement. If God is gonna work through heritage, yes, we better be theologically grounded. We better know who God is. But if God is gonna work through heritage, it's gonna be because we're worshipers. And I don't just mean singing. I mean our lives are filled with overflowing contentment in who God is. And that will draw people. And people will get saved. And things will happen. And things will move. And the power of God will be manifested when worship happens. When worship ceases, power ceases. And mission ceases. And life ceases. Okay? The day we stop worshiping God here, the day that we just come and this is a social club, our mission is over. Okay? Our power is gone. Worship is the heartbeat of Christianity. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us different. It's what made Israel different. That's all that God wanted for Israel. He said, just worship me. Just find me more valuable than the stinking idols. Just keep me the center. Make me the most important thing. God says, I'm the best thing you'll ever know. I love you enough to make sure you know that. That's all he wanted for them. Just worship me. And they just couldn't do it. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, manifested within us. Worship is the heartbeat of what God wants to do in the church. We'll close with this. Brother Lawrence said this. He said, the end we ought to propose to ourselves is to become, in this life, the most perfect worshipers of God we can possibly be, as we hope to be through all eternity. That's what we're gonna do forever, is worship God forever all of eternity, ascribing value to him as we discover him and learn of him and worship him for eternity. So what we're gonna do tonight, I just wanted that to be short. <laughs> it was, I think it was half an hour. Right? Um, we're gonna spend the rest of the night worshiping. And musical worship is not the only form of worship, but it's a fantastic way to express our love to God, to sing songs that have weight and meaning, to sing the gospel, and really to do something together as a church. So I just wanna invite you guys, let's stand at least for the first couple. If you wanna sit after that, that's fine. There's communion in the back. You guys have been sitting for a while. Let's, let's stand up. There's communion in the back. You can take that on your own. Let's just spend the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half hour, just worshiping the Lord. I want, you, I want to invite you guys, listen to me. This, isn't, this, is, this is pointless if God's presence isn't here. It's pointless. Let's invite his manifest presence to be here. Let's meet with our God. Let's commune with our God. Let's let praise overflow so that power can come down, amen? God, we thank you so much that you are a God that's easy to worship. And Lord, even though we have this worship disorder, even though we have this sin that plagues us and keeps us from being able, being able to give you the value that you deserve, to describe to, to you the worth that you already have, Lord, I pray that you would penetrate that. That, Lord, our hearts would be overwhelmed even now, Holy Spirit, in this room, overwhelmed with just how good you are. God, that we cannot just sit here distracted because your presence is overwhelming. Your goodness is overwhelming. 
God, fill this place with the thick cloud of your glory. Lord, may we recognize your power. Lord, if you're not here, this is pointless. So God, let us feel you tonight. Let us worship you in our minds, God. May our theology be the wood on the fire of the flames of our hearts, God. Lord, for those in here with hardened hearts, with distracted hearts, with burdened hearts, God, Holy Spirit, would you reach into our chests and bring peace in the power of your name. God, that you are bigger than our hurts. You are bigger than our distractions, bigger than our weaknesses, bigger than our fears. God, would you show yourself to us tonight? We pray this in Jesus' powerful name.